It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being DC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for crazy and the game. Welcome to Crazy in the King Quarantine Week 8. How are you, my friend? 8, and it seems like it's on fire. Like, just as the weather begins to break, we get to experience all of these shootings. And like you just moments ago told me about um, several incidents that I absolutely had no idea even really happened. And and I just thought that we were going to start the show with Run With Maud. Dot com. You know, runwithmaud.com, the jogger down in Atlanta, Georgia. I know you heard about that particular situation. Yeah. And my family, we will be running with Maud on Friday as we've committed to that as a family. And, and I've really struggled with that conversation this week. And, and my name drop is, is related to that. But like, I just feel like I don't know what what the fuck to do anymore. And, and I know this isn't like a new feeling for you. So maybe I'm just like white person going through it, but I feel like every time I post about it, I'm, I'm sending, it's like saying, sending thoughts and prayers. It feels so useless. And I feel so powerless to actually make change. And I don't want anyone to like, I don't want it to be seen that way. I'm genuinely like, how do we do more when when this happens, and I appreciate you um, for you know tagging Chad, my husband, and Joel Cheeseman on on Facebook when this article came out, so you brought it to their attention, and you said to them what you said to them in London is more white people need to speak out. But like, tell me how you're processing. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean exactly what I say. We're not going to change this conversation if only black people are irritated. I want you to think back when the church burned in Paris. I believe it was the Notre Dame church, something like that. So, you know, when instances like that happen and Julie, you post that on your Facebook page, you'll have, you know, a thousand individuals that'll see it. You know, a third of them are going to like it or to comment in some manner. You don't even find some of them changing their image uh, from their face to uh, an image of the the fra- uh, flag for France or, or something mm-hmm. of the sort. And so they engage with that. There's some level of sentiment, uh, some level of relationship with just that. It's a church. It's a church. It's a church. Mm-hmm. It's a church. And so when what, what I'm saying is it's not an either or proposition. We all have some level of responsibility in terms of growth and pursuing the definition of doing more. Some would say that, well, Torn, you know, you could put the image of the church up on your page. I absolutely could. I could do that around LGBTQ issues. I could do more. I could do more around issues uh, of people with disabilities and, and not just so much so posting on my social media, but ferreting out, being curious, reading that or seeking out that type of information so that I can be a bigger voice, better voice, better ally. And so when you ask me how am I processing it, I process it, you know, in the way of, A, I'm never surprised. Like, I'm never, ever surprised when this bullshit happens. Never. I, I Like, I literally, uh, literally have reached my limit 
of videos of black men being shot on camera for the fucking year. I've literally reached my limit and I've only seen one. I don't need to see anymore. It's just like my, my, we, you don't forget how that feels. And you definitely don't forget how that feels when you know that it could be you or it could be the Kings that I have upstairs. Uh, and people got mad when President Barack Obama said that could have been my son. It could because the shit is true. Yeah. It's true. So that's how I process it. And I process it through a lens of, you know, I start looking at folks sideways. You know, I look at some of my friends sideways. I'll look at some of your friends sideways. Doesn't mean that I cut them. Doesn't mean that I cancel them. Doesn't mean that I unfriend them. Doesn't mean any of those things. But it does mean that I'm looking at you through a lens of, all right, I'm, I'm watching you. I see what it is that you do respond to. I see how you comment on cer- certain things. And I see where and where you are not willing to take action. And it's because of those individuals' unwillingness to take action, which is why still today we have black men being shot down in the street like animals. There is nothing about that conversation that should sit well with anybody. No one should be shot down in the street like an animal. And worse, it's being done by not just citizens, but by law enforcement. And you can miss me with the bullshit around black on black crime or any of that other stuff. A, you never say white on white crime. So unless you are saying white on white crime, miss me with that. And B, I don't compare crime to a person who is simply, you know, doing what it is that he or she does. Everybody's got crime. You got the mafia, you got the Italian, I mean, the Irish, I mean, you got Japan, you got... Everybody has crime. I could care less about that. That's what they do. I don't feel like being shot on a f- afternoon because I'm going for a jog, you know, trying to go from, you know, wherever I am, 230 down to 225. I don't appreciate that at all, Julie. Uh, and that, you know, that's some bullshit. That's what we try to do. That's what we do as as white folks to make ourselves feel better, right? It's like, oh, he was doing something bad or it's black on black. That's bullshit. If, if my son had 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 been jogging, I would never, ever worry about his safety from a police officer in Indianapolis, in the city I live in, none of it, none of it. And, you know, it just, and it does, it, it does shock me every time. And I'm, I'm glad because I'm not like desensitized to it, but I just like feel just this rage. And I, I committed and we talked about this and and actually I heard Chad and Joel talking about it on their, their podcast is that, you know, we've gotten into this place where we're not speaking up enough because of the action, you know, because of our family, because of our friends, you know, and, and I, I wrote it on the Facebook this week and I mean it. And I've told everyone that I can tell is that like the truce is over. The gloves are fucking off. I am not not going to allow any casual racism or over, you know, over remark or something because you're my family, because, you know, you're older. Like I, I do pretty good, but I, I have to do better and I have to get more engaged in those everyday conversations that enable these monsters who've done what they've done, um, you know, 
it's been a bad, bad week in Indianapolis too, to be held accountable. And it's, it's just that slippery slope. And that's at least one way I feel like I can do something other than continuing to, to raise consciousness about it. Like, I feel like I have to take that next step. And, and I appreciate you talking about this because I know it's, it's not an easy one, easy conversation to have. And I was a little hesitant. Like I really wanted to talk about it, but I didn't want to put you in a place where you were uncomfortable. And so we talked about it before and I appreciate, you know, your voice. I need to listen and learn more from, from people in the community so we can do more. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm getting, I don't, I don't mind talking. I I think, you know, again, for, for me, it's just a matter of, I, I just try to exercise that deep connectedness to humanity uh, in all that I do. I was watching earlier in the week, a YouTube of a pastor. It was an old, older sermon from this particular pastor. And it was shared with me and, and there became a point or, or there arrived a point in his sermon where he talked about how men should sit. And so he demonstrated how men should sit and how they should not sit. And what he was doing, Julie, is he was making fun of gay men. And so I said, okay, um, how much longer do you think I'm going to watch this? Uh, none. I, I immediately hit the X. And it didn't matter what the message was. you know. And I'm not one of those individuals who um, I try not to sit in judgment in areas that, that I don't feel um, like I need to judge. Like watching somebody... Uh, on video, knock a woman down on the street and steal her handbag, I could probably be safe in saying that ain't necessarily the right thing to do. I don't know if the God that people pray to or however you refer to that higher being, I don't know if if I am qualified to to say that that God is not happy with how gay men's I'm just not I'm not in that place and so I try to stay in an area where it is pretty clear that what's happening is not right so I don't I don't only get uh riled up in exercise taken of action as it relates to you know police shootings or shootings by citizens and the run with maud.com is absolute is actually a citizen and not a police shooting and so I want our listeners to know that we're not conflating the two uh, they are absolute. They are different incidents that happen, but I just try to be more human. And so uh, I'm glad that you are willing to have the conversation. And for our listeners out there, you just listen to a monologue, you know, where we're just documenting history. This is what the fuck has happened in week number eight of this pandemic. So not only are we dealing with everything else that we're dealing with, but we got to deal with some of these other layers of stuff that absolutely should not be present in our life. No one, no one should be dealing with being shot uh, in the middle of a street just because they're jogging. No one should be dealing with being shot unarmed, I'm assuming, in Indianapolis 19 yeah. times. And then yeah. the police officer standing above him or over him saying that, oh, I guess this is going to be a closed casket. And that was a black police officer. Black. Yes. You know yes. what I'm saying? So, Julie, uh, so uh, listen. We had an incredible conversation last week <laughs> uh, with Michelle Weinstein and Kevin McCloskey. They were awesome. It was they a were. big job of you pairing their voices with ours. 
uh, thanks for bringing them on Crazy and the King. It was a really, really good conversation. And if you missed it as a listener, go back and catch the EP from last week. I think we titled that one Mental Health. Didn't we do Mental Health on that? Yep. Uh, yep. Yep, we okay. sure did. I think we titled that Mental Health. Good stuff. So so I got a brain tease. I want to do something a little different. Uh, okay. Do you know which company has increased their academic footprint, meaning which company has expanded their recruiting efforts from 75 schools to over 800 schools? Do you know who? Wow. Do you know who's that? I, I have no idea. None. No worry. So look, we'll think about that as we get toward the end of the, the uh, episode, and I'll reveal that to you uh, down in resources, and certainly we'll share that with all of our listeners. Bottom line is we appreciate each and every one of you for being here. Every once in a while, we go off the rails and we just have an organic and real and real-time conversation. We love you just the same. We ain't taking no bullshit from any of our listeners or anyone else. So if you don't like how we talk about what we talk about, you can hit the unsubscribe button. But the bottom line is we are going to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and life. We're going to talk about humanity. You know, it's irresponsible of us to use our platform and to not call out what is happening in life. So, hey, we're going to press forward. Um, so, look, DNI conversation. Let's get to it. I, I found an article uh, over on the Illyria newsletter. I've talked about Illyria often in the year uh, in change that we've been doing this. Um, and they actually focused on a story that they found over on OZ, O-Z-Y, and the story was titled The Forgotten Victims of the Pandemic, the Deaf Community. Like, when's the last time you talked about, thought about the deaf community, Julie? Uh, so I, I have some friends that that are not deaf, but are very, that are that speak ASL and are very active in the deaf community. And they, over the last like, six months to a year, have really made um, our team more thoughtful yeah. about people who are deaf, but, but I can't say I have a lot of, of interaction with people who are deaf. So when you brought this story, it, it, it challenged me and it, it caused me to think about some things and to learn some things that are very different that I hadn't thought of before that I think our listeners will, um, it, it will really change the way they think about de- the deaf community. I, I think about Sam Sipa. Uh, who's with Google. I believe he's still with Google and an incredible individual. He's deaf. Uh, He sat on a panel that I moderated a couple of years ago. That's how I met him. I met him intentionally because when I curated the panel, uh, I wanted the panel to to be diverse in representation uh, in a variety of ways and elevated him to a position of power. And and I got to tell you, Julie, the, the two times that he has been on panels with me, we have clearly set the room on fire. He is an incredible, talented, smart, uh, communicative individual who knows the HR and talent acquisition space. And so when I think about the deaf community, I haven't had enough interaction with them, and I most certainly do not regularly have interaction with them. And so this story was actually interesting for me because here we are in the middle of this pandemic, and one of the things that the story talks about is how the local news live captioning um, Mm -hmm. really does not do an adequate job of communicating real time what is happening. So people like you and I who are abled, we can hear, uh, we can see, we're getting the information, whatever that information is, we're getting it. 
We're getting it in the moment that they are giving it to us. Good, bad, indifferent. You know, whether we need to research it later or not, we're getting the information in the moment in which it's being given to us. Well, what we found in that article is that for the deaf community, first and foremost, local uh, live captioning is only in the top 25 markets. Now, I don't know if that, you know, if that's Baltimore and then, you know, a 50 mile radius around Baltimore or if it's really just Baltimore proper. I don't know if that's Chicago and 50 miles around Chicago or just Chicago proper. But what I do know is 25 markets in a uh, country that ain't a lot of markets. That That's not a lot of markets. It's so definitely that, not Indianapolis, right? Yeah, I mean, no. we, we don't. We don't. We do a, a poor job. I will say the governor has had, for all of his conferences, he has had an interpreter on. But you would basically have to be there to get access and see the interpreter the whole time. It, it was not a made-for-television interpreter. Um, and, and you know what? I, I think this is so important because I had one of those aha moments as I was I was prepping for this story. So let me let me take a little stop and tell you just a, a, a quick story. Please do. So last year, Chad and I were in Portugal. And something that we found very unique was that everything – and a lot of times in, in Paris, too, there would actually be in the corner of the television an interpreter, right, yeah. doing sign language, Portuguese sign language, French sign language. And we both kind of went like, why Why are we doing this for a movie? Why are they not just doing closed caption? And we've talked about it a couple times since then, and we weren't sure of the answer. And so today I went out in search of the answer. And People who are deaf and who use American Sign Language, ASL, as their primary means of communication, that's not the same language as English, right? It is a derivative of of English, but sentence structure, um, words are different, meanings are different. And so when you're providing closed captionings or the cryons on the news that are providing the information – it's. I'm going to compare it to asking someone who is a only Spanish speaker to read the captions in English and say good enough, mm. because that's what we're talking about. And it just kind of went like, duh, for me today, because they are separate languages, and because we don't recognize as a country ASL as one of our official languages. There are no requirements of the government, state or local, to provide services or communication, even in times of crisis, that is appropriate and is necessary for the deaf community. No, they don't. And and I think, you know, what you experienced over in Portugal may be a result of that requirement from the government. I don't know that to be the case, but I'm assuming that there is some degree of legislation or demand. Yeah. Demand on that industry that they provide that level of access. You know, I think about, you know, the United Nations convention, uh, they focus on the rights of persons with disabilities and Americans with disabilities act and both guarantee non-discrimination. And yet we're still struggling. People in this community 
are still struggling to be seen and to have access to the same information at the very same moment that the rest of us uh, have action to. And, and it's not just the local news. You mentioned the governor for uh, Indiana. Same here, governor of Maryland. They've always had someone doing the sign language, but that, you know, if you're not there and watching it on YouTube or actually uh, at that press briefing, of course, you are missing that information. And then when it's being converted over, that person doing the sign language is not there. The White House has struggled. They haven't even done... Uh, struggled? Uh, Let's just say ignored. Yeah, well, you, you're right. You're better word. I, I before S, ignored comes before struggle. You're right. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, they've, they've absolutely ignored, um, you know, that aspect of, of their briefings. And so... I think that, you know, for our listeners, what we want is we want to raise the level of consciousness. As we talked about in the beginning, in the monologue, it's about challenging ourselves to always think about doing better. It's about thinking, how do I how do I be of value, uh, lend my uh, privilege, lend my resources, lend my time differently? How do I yes. do that? You know, it's not I'm not suggesting that we don't give to that favorite charity that we've always given to. I'm asking that we think once, can we deviate a portion, some of those funds, uh, skip a couple of cups of coffee? Can we do something so that we can hit a, uh, a demographic, a community that we have not thought about? I have not donated any money to the National Federation of the Blind. I have not donated any money to... Uh, the organization or the entity that deals with people that are deaf. And and I give every single time I do an event, receive money, I need to make it my business this year to give something different because I want to make a difference. Make sense? No, it, it, it absolutely does. And I want to make sure that I also recognize that people who are deaf do often learn to read English, right? They may may read braille as well but they do read english but it is as a second language in most cases so if we were thinking from a design perspective about how do we have communication with our hispanic community how do we have you know communication with with different speaking individuals or groups within our cities and within our communities asl should be a common and required matter of communication because it does create a a fully inclusive environment and removes that. And it's not kind of discrimination. It is not baseline discrimination. It is discrimination. You are refusing to provide the same level of service to someone who speaks a different language than the majority. Yeah, of course. And so to close out this one, let's just say that Uh, We put up an episode last week of Mental Health and uh, Lancet, L-A-N-C-E-T, published a report in 2018, some research-based evidence that said deaf people are twice as likely to suffer from mental health problems as compared to the general population. Of course, we'll have the links uh, in the show notes, but I really, really want you to think differently about just how the the world moves. There's, what, seven, eight billion people? Um, we can just show up a little bit differently. But that mental health piece is a great transition to your story, Julie. What you got? Yeah, well, I mean, and it just it just ties in so well to what we've been talking about for for the last few weeks. And um, 
the the story is from Forbes, who's been doing just a fantastic job in the disability space uh, for, I'm going to say, at least the past year and and really bringing forward great voices. And I want to thank Steve Oriel for sending this article our way. My man, Steve. Um, Yeah. So quick name drop to Steve. Um, But the article is titled, We Have Been Disabled, How the Pandemic Has Proven the Social Model of Disability by a, a DNI expert named Dan, Dr. Nancy Doyle. And when I was reading this article, what I realized is that we have been talking for the past few weeks about the social model of disability, but not putting that label of understanding uh, around it. So I thought it, it's probably a good idea so that our listeners can start recognizing to, to first stop and say, what is the social model of disability? And I always talk about how we're on our civil rights journey. And the best way to explain the social model of disability is it's the civil rights view of disablement. It separates what makes me disabled and focuses on the responsibility that society holds for the disablement of others. So very similar to what we just talked about is that failing to incorporate other languages like ASL is society choosing to disable others instead of creating a model where we can all thrive. Does that, does that make sense? It does. And just to say it a different way, you know, what Julie mentioned uh, in, in the uh, last segment, if you will, if we taught uh, sign language in, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and it became natural for uh, young people to, to be able to do sign language. So when they showed up inside of a grocery store, a bank, if they showed up to get the oil changed in their vehicle, church, if they wanted to order ice cream, pizza, go to dinner, uh, if they wanted to enjoy a, a show at the opera, if they grew up knowing sign language in addition to English or Spanish or Chinese or Mandarin, it would change how we would all be able to move through this uh, this place called life, this thing called life. And, exactly. and so it really is about changing. The, just imagine if we had uh, a generation of young people that knew sign language and they now are uh, exiting college and, and they were responsible for helping cities to, to become smart cities, smart communities. What would that exactly. do for uh, our lighting system, our uh, signage on the road, on sidewalks, on billboards? What would that do, uh, signs on the front of a McDonald's door? So what Julie is talking about in terms of the disablement of others it's really a word uh, in a in a different way of leveling the field, if you will, so that we all are able to move a bit more um, equitous. Yes. Equitous. Is yes. That, that's a nice, that's a nice word. word. We just made up. Let's I love it. Equitous. Let's go with it's gonna equitous. Be yeah. We're going to have to do a new hashtag. But yeah, keep going. <laughs> well, and, and if you think about it even beyond the equitousness of it, yeah. um, it also, what would it do for our economy? What would it do for our unemployment rate? What would it do for your business if every location that someone wanted to go eat, that wanted to go spend their money, was physically accessible? 
what if the technology that you're selling worked for all of us, right? This isn't it. I always want to bring it back to we all rise by lifting others. And it is the right thing to do, but it is the smart thing to do. And companies are not thinking about that. But what has happened in the last eight weeks? Yeah, well, it came through and everybody went through a period of uh, enforced, uh, unwanted disablement. I yes. a pandemic, you know, and, and exactly. the, article, the article talks about, you know, how that swooped through period, like no, no warning. Well, we got a couple of weeks warning. And in some cases that week was later than it was supposed to be. But but we got some more, you know, a slight one point being it disrupted everything that individuals. And so now the way that we normally abled individuals operated. We are experiencing some of the challenges that people with disabilities or under other underrepresented groups have had to to deal with, you know, for a lifetime. Um, and so while we're complaining about Zoom fatigue, you know, the folks that are, are blind, deaf, mm-hmm. I mean, they may not have been able to use Zoom ever. Yes. You know, they oh. may have been excluded from meetings, you know, on a regular basis. So so that's what we're looking at. Right. Well, and and we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about um, being able to work at home it has has largely been seen as not a reasonable accommodation for so long. Yeah, and we've quickly been able to put that in place to keep business moving. And so, as we're shifting back into um, eventually going back into the workplace, doing all of these things. I had an interesting conversation with a company in the last couple of weeks and they were like, Hey, our, our jobs aren't really work from home. So is that going to work for people with disabilities? And I'm like, are they, are they really not work from home? Right. Because y'all have been working from home for the past eight weeks. So it's my job to challenge you to think about what this, what this pandemic needs to do for your culture shift and what your technology has proven to be able to do. And it's going to be real easy to just slip back into the old way of doing things. And we have to think about what needs to be kept and what needs to be discarded. And really some of, of so many of the social models of disability and the things that are creating that enablement of disability or disablement, um, and that's that's really what we need to be thinking about, and that's really going to drive the next level of companies that are able to maximize yeah, yeah, their yeah. return on investment for for this pandemic. Absolutely, and in the article, Nancy Dole talks about towards the end. She says four things. She says new things that we will keep. Actually, the maybe triggers four triggers: new things we will keep, new things we will cease, old things we will reinstate. All things we will drop. I've often referred to in sessions that I've done, uh, whether it be private coaching or, you know, from stage, uh, the book, Blue Ocean Shift. And inside of Blue Ocean Shift, it talks about the four action framework, either reducing, eliminating, creating or raising. It's the same thing. Uh, She may mean it in a different way, but ultimately it comes down to the very same thing. And the premise around blue ocean shift is, you know, why should we compete inside of a red ocean, which 
we really don't have red oceans. It's a it's an analogy, I think. And then it's really around why don't we think differently about how we do all of this stuff and get out in that big blue ocean? There is a world of opportunity waiting for us, an incredible amount of disruption and innovation and opportunity waiting for us. But we have to be willing to get out in that ocean. Sometimes it's a big boat. Sometimes it might be a small boat, Julie, but we should get out in that ocean. We can't be afraid to put our life vest on and get out in that ocean and create some new opportunity. We need to stop with the craziness of we have to only recruit from these seven schools, like I said in the brain teaser, but that there is a wide amount of talent out there. We got 5,000 plus colleges and universities in this country. Why are most organizations only recruiting from a handful, 20, 30 of them, 5,000 of them. So it was a great article. I loved what Nancy Doyle did. I loved the find. And quite frankly, I didn't know that Forbes had been really doing a great job of highlighting, you know, uh, this community. And so it, it, I'm glad that Steve, you know, man, me and Steve been, gosh, that guy's been a friend for 20 years. Um, yeah, so I'm glad that he shared this article. I saw that he tagged us, but you pulled it faster than I did. Good read, good ad. Um, good on you. I love this one. This is good. All right. So I have been waiting on this brain teaser answer for 28 minutes. So yeah. Yeah. So, so we're going to make sure we put it out for you all. Um, We're not going to go into it, but Google released their 2020 diversity report. Uh, And so inside of their diversity report, it's about, I don't know, 20 or so pages. and, And they, you know, they go in there and talk about diversity and what Google has done in part to try to address some of the DNI is that they have increased their footprint uh, from uh, 75 schools to over 800 schools. And so now they're recruiting uh, as of last year from 15 HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, 39 Hispanic serving institutions and nine colleges uh, that focus on women in the U.S. So here's my only challenge with that. If they've gone from 75 to 800 schools, I just told you about roughly 54 of them. It tells me and it causes me to ask, well, who's the audience and what type of diversity are coming from the other 750 schools? But nonetheless, we'll put a link to the report in the show notes. Have a look at it. And it may be instrumental for you and your organization as you continue on your DNI journey. I, I think it's um, it's going to be well worth a read. It may be worth a discussion um, just in general. Uh, I don't know if you know the the CDO over there, but it, it, it would be interesting to to get a take um, from inside Google. Not that you ever get anything from inside Google, but no. So I think that's awesome. And I think it's well worth a read. I will go ahead and say that I just uh, did a search and disability gets mentioned 10 times, which is a huge improvement. So thank you for that, Google. Um, what about name drops, my friend? Uh, so let me go with mine real quick. Judy Human from Crip Camp. She joined me on uh, IG Live this past Monday. Uh, absolutely nice. enjoyed her energy. She was incredible. 70-year-old woman. She did a twirl in her wheelchair for everyone that was on my IG Live. So if you don't do IG Live with me, do IG Live 12 o'clock Mondays, 12 o'clock Eastern. But Judy Human, she was the MVP. Grab her book, Being Human, Being Human, H-E-U-M-A-N-N. The Audible version drops May 17th. She's super badass. Yes, totally ma'am. love her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
My name dropped this week, Kim Jones, a great D&I leader, um, awesome on the, the circuit. She and I have been uh, just connecting Facebook, socials, that kind of stuff. And she really helped me through a tough conversation and helped me to be more comfortable with my voice for what we talked about at the top of the show. And, and so thank you to Kim for indulging me and, and, and being there to kind of listen and let me get to the right place that I needed to be for, to be a better ally. And I'm going to be hanging out for the next couple of weeks to take us home. And we've got some events coming up and we'll have more about that soon. And I look forward to catching you, my friend on Sirius XM this week. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to look real quick. I wish I had her. Um, oh man, I can't find her, her uh, Twitter. I wanted to give her Twitter handle out. Kim does some incredible bags and skirts uh, with African diaspora type print. Kim Jones, and if you are interested in connecting with her and you can't find her, just ping Julie or I on Twitter and we'll make sure we connect you to her. I'm local. Uh, I ain't going anywhere. Like, I ain't no plane, no train, no bus, no boat, uh, nothing. If it's not a truck with a push-button start, then I'm not in it. So that means I'm going to be right here in Baltimore. We're going to be rocking and rolling, doing what we do. Uh, nothing's changed. But I do ask each and every one of you to think about the top of the show. Think about the bottom. And the bottom, all we ask is, how do you be a better human? We do want you to have an awesome rest of the week. Uh, but we close reminding each and every one of you that we want you to be a much better human. For now, Julie and I are ghosts. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.